Good morning. It's a beautiful morning out there. Uh, I thought since I am relatively new in this place that a short word of testimony would be first before we get into a lesson. Uh, I was born Jim Kane, Kane with a K. Now, Kane with a K is Irish. And there's really only two kinds of people in the world, Irish and those who would like to be. We all understand that. And uh, I hope no one is offended by that. And I think I grew up, I always believed in God. I didn't know anything about Him. But I always believed there was a God. Even when I was old enough to hear anything and understand anything, I thought there was God. But I just didn't know anything about Him. One day, some kids I went to school with, when I was about 14, invited me to go to their church. And I went to that church with them. It was a Wednesday night service. And uh, didn't know anything they were talking about. And the father of one of the kids I went to school with come over and got his arm around me. And he said, have you ever been saved? Since I didn't know what he was talking about, I figured I wasn't. And I said, no. He says, well, would you like to be? 14-year-old kid who'd like to be a people pleaser? I said, yeah, okay. No conviction, no conversion. I went forward in that little church and I prayed with the preacher and I still didn't know what I was doing. And he says, did you ask him to save you? I said, yes, I did. He says, what did he say to you? <laughs> Nobody said anything to me. But I told him what he wanted to hear. I was a kid. I says, well, he told me I was saved. I didn't get saved. I didn't even know what it was about. I didn't know I had to be saved. And I grew up and off and on and in and out of church and so forth. And uh, at about the age of 21, I got into the elevator business. Yes, my job had its ups and downs. And I was an elevator constructor. I used to build elevators. And it was a great job, except iron workers are not the only ones that work up high. All the other trades do too. The iron workers erect the steel, but the rest of us get on it after they've got it up. And my third day in the business, I quit and went home. <laughs> I was up there with one of the craziest guys I ever knew. And uh, Charlie Zanovich, he's gone now. But uh, I thought, I know he's crazy, and I'm crazy for being up here with him. And I quit the job and went home. I got home and I said, boy, I really need that job. So I called them up and asked them for another chance. They said, come on back. You'll be okay. You were doing all right. So I got over the buck fever and went back to work and stayed there ever since for over 40 years. But going through life up till I was 30 years old thinking I was saved because somebody told me I was. I had no communication with God. When I would open up the Bible on occasion, which wasn't very often, I didn't understand what I was reading. And at the age of 30, I broke a leg. Now, it could have been something dramatic in the elevator business or whatever, but I was snow skiing. So everybody laughs at that. And uh, before that, I came out of a side street in Royal Oak, and I saw a little, like a doctor's office, and it said, Elsie Lavely, RN, 
physical therapy. I thought if anything ever happened to me and I needed therapy, I'd go to a little private place like that. You know, it's not our idea to get saved. It's God's idea. And He's the one who brings us to Jesus. Well, I broke that leg and it came out of a cast and it was totally stiff. I could bend that leg one degree. And I couldn't work like that. You don't walk steel with a leg like that. You don't get up high with a leg like that. And I I drove the doctor nuts. And he said, I'm going to send you over to therapy now. I said, I don't want to go there. He said, what? I said, I want to go to this place over on Levin Mile that I saw. He says, I don't care what you do. Go. He had enough of me. I was not the nicest person in the world, believe it or not. <laughs> so I went there. I grew up with my grandmother in the house, so God knows I always had an affection for older people. Now I'm an older people. And uh, this lady, Elsie Lavely, was a friend of Dr. David Allen and his wife. And she would tie me down to that table and start bending that leg and telling me about Jesus. I didn't want to listen to her, but I loved her. And she just kept telling. She finally, I think everyone has some secret fear of some kind or another. And mine was, and back in those days, was in the late 60s, was a war with Russia. I never shared that with anyone. And what scared me about it was not that they might put me in a uniform and give me a rifle and you go off to war. Okay, I I would have lived with that. I thought it would be right here. And I thought of my kids, my family, my folks lived or were still living then a few blocks away from me. And it terrified me that if we get into it with those guys, they're going to bring it over here. She told me about this young preacher, a young evangelist, who had a sermon called The Coming War with Russia. Well, I had to hear that. And it was at Calvary Baptist Church in Hazel Park. He was a visiting preacher over there at the time, and you might have heard of him. His name was Jack Van Impey. And, yeah, he's got some... He likes to set dates and stuff like that, and I don't agree with that because the Bible says we don't know when. But he does know the way to heaven. And I went over there to listen to that that night, and I got saved at the age of 31 years old. And what was the best part about it is the guy who counseled me, a lot of people went forward, 35, 40 people that night. The guy who counseled me was a big Swede. I love this guy. He's home with the Lord now. And he discipled me. He wouldn't let go of me. I went there. I left that church. I had no thought that I'd go back over there. I heard what I wanted to. I was kind of satisfied with the message and figured, well, it isn't going to be here, at least not like I've always thought. But this guy wouldn't let go of me. And he discipled me, and that's the key to new converts. We have to disciple them. And I wandered around my house, and some things had changed. My dirty mouth was gone, and I don't. nobody had a dirtier mouth than me. 
and I wasn't talking that way anymore. I didn't decide, well, I'm a Christian now, and I better stop cussing and everything. God took it away. It was probably something I had no control over, so he had to do it. I don't know if I was what they call an alcoholic, but I certainly was a heavy drinker. And Bill Gothard in the basic youth seminars, he will not allow someone to say they're an alcoholic. He'll say, no, you're a drunkard, because that's what the Bible says. So I was a drunkard. I bought me a new Bible, a Schofield Study Bible, because Axel Lauren had recommended that. And I went and opened up a beer, and I sat down, and I was going to study my Bible. And I couldn't drink it. So I went and poured it out. So I sat down, and I started to read my Bible again. I said, oh, you're just being silly. I went and got another beer. And I sat down there, opened up the beer, and it said I couldn't drink it. Somebody was stopping me. So I went and poured out all the rest of the beer I had, and I haven't been a drunk since. And I thank God for that. He did that, not me. Did he clear up everything in my life? No. I've got a bad temper I still deal with every day, especially behind the wheel of the car. I don't like it when somebody tailgates me (laughs) and somebody keeps telling me, settle down, Jim. You'll probably get through this. But that was what happened to me when I got saved. And I never went to Bible school or anything like that. In fact, I don't have much of an education. But I sat under Dr. David Allen for 25 plus years. And that was like going to Bible school. And uh, if you sat under David Allen and didn't know how to get saved and didn't know how to Christian life live the Christian life, you weren't listening. So with that, that's where I am now. And uh, actually, I hear some of these TV evangelists say, you get saved, you come to Jesus, and you'll never have trouble again, and everything will be great in your life. And they're lying. (laughs) I've had the hardest times of my life since I got saved. And I think everybody here understands that. If you want to live for Christ, you're going to get some opposition. And so... Let's start with just a quick word of prayer, and then we'll open to John chapter 15. Father in heaven, we come to you, and we ask that you will be our teacher today. Use my voice, Lord, use my words, but you be the teacher, because I have nothing to offer these folks in and of myself. And we're looking to you in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 15, the vine and the branches. And I'm going to read through 1 to 17. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. 
so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. I'm sure all of us have struggled a little bit with that verse. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, and just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. This I command you, that you love one another. Jesus starts right out in this with one of the great I Am's. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Now, in my NASB here, the word am is not capitalized. In the King James Version, it would be capitalized because Jesus here is claiming to be God. And we can look back at Exodus 3.14 where Moses is talking or listening to the burning bush and he didn't want to go. God says, I want you to go get my children out of Egypt. And he said, uh, well, who, who could I say sent me? God said, I am that I am. You tell the children of Israel that I am has sent you. Well, this is why the Jews wanted to kill Jesus in so many instances, because when they heard him say, I am, they knew what he was talking about. He claimed to be God, and we believe that he is. And this is the seventh of the great I Ams. There's another I Am in this chapter, but it's not one of these. This is the last of the, the great I Ams. I am the bread of life, John 6.35. I am the light of the world, John 8.12. I am the door, John 10.9. I am the good shepherd, John 10.14. I am the resurrection and the life, John 11:25. I am the way, the truth, and the life, John 14:6. He said it plenty of times, and I believe he was telling the truth. And the Father is the vine dresser. He's the one who lops off 
the branches on us that are worthless, the little twigs that grow on us. Uh, I was born and raised in Michigan, but my folks' background is from Kentucky. My uncle had a big farm down there, over 700 acres, and I loved going down there to visit and spend some time with him. And some of the crops that he grew, you had to go through. He called it suckering the crops. You were breaking off the sucker off the plants, off of the main vine, off of the main branches, because all those little leaves and everything, they took up energy out of the plant, but it didn't grow very well. It just got all crummy. He'd take all that stuff off, and the branch would grow better. And tobacco was one of his big money uh, products, but anyway, that's what he had to do for the tobacco. When you got done working in that stuff, you had tobacco gum all over you, but it did wash off. But he had to clean up those branches, and they do the same thing with the vine on a, a grapevine. You take off all the little leaves, they go through all of that stuff, because then all the energy will go to the fruit. And he said, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, four stages of fruit bearing in this chapter, does not bear fruit, no fruit, bears fruit, and he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. That's three of them. No fruit, fruit, and more fruit. And then farther down in Verse number 5, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. If you're walking with Jesus, you bear much fruit. I think I've always found it interesting that in the Old Testament, there's only two men that the Bible speaks of walking with God before the flood. One was Enoch and one was Noah. They're the only two. Now, of course, that was before the time of Abraham. Abraham came along after the flood. But those two men were the only ones that the Bible speaks of who walked with God. He says in verse 3, You're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. The word of God. There used to be a Bible college around this town, and they had a motto. The Word of God, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. And one day they decided it would be a good thing to compromise so they could have different kinds of things in there and people could come and get their degree and go off and make a living in the world. They changed the name. They didn't want to call it a Bible college anymore. That offends the world, you know. They don't like the Bible. They don't like the Word of God. And they lasted a few years, but you know now the doors are closed. That college is no more. If you trifle with God and His Word, you're just walking on dangerous ground. It doesn't work. That was Detroit Bible College, by the way. And it became William Tyndale College. They changed the name. Get the Bible out of there. A lot of churches are doing that all over this country. The main problem in America today, we can talk about all the problems we have with politicians, with 
crime, everything that's going on. There's one basic number one problem in America. America has turned its back on God. A few years ago, I visited this church. This little church was full. When I went to Calvary Baptist Church, there were 2,000 people a week in that church. Do you know how many they have now? 30 or 40 is a good week. America has turned its back on God. And there are empty churches all over this country. Oh yeah, there are some big mega churches around. They're full of people and they're full of lies too. They compromise with the world. They share their pulpit with Muslims. God says in Isaiah, I will not give my glory to another. He will not share his glory with a false god, with a false prophet, with a false preacher. He will not do it. He doesn't have to do it. He's God. Well, he says in verse 4, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. We're going to look at this word abide. It's not a very big word. Five letters. And I pretty much knew what it meant, but I thought, I'm going to look at this in the dictionary. I want to see what the dictionary says about this little word. And so I wrote that down. Abide. I was surprised at the amount of definition for this one little word. To remain or stay. Stay with me. Remain with me. To reside. That means to take up residence with the Lord. Move right in because His arms are open. To wait for. This is all out. This is not me. This was, this was in the dictionary. To wait for. We wait for the Lord. Sometimes we pray. Our prayers aren't answered immediately. God says, you wait for me. I'll answer that prayer when it's appropriate, when it's the right time. You don't assume that I'm going to do everything. I'll do what I want to. To endure or tolerate. Endure. That means to stick with it. You go through the bad times as well as the good. Tolerate. We tolerate each other, don't we? You guys are tolerating me right now. <laughs> Abide by. To act in accord with. Act in accord with Jesus. To submit to or to agree to. Submit our lives to Jesus. That's a, that's a lot of definition for a little five-letter word, isn't it? It's not over yet. Abiding, enduring, or steadfast. That intrigued me when I looked up the definition of that word. And Jesus uses it a lot in this chapter. In fact, the Bible uses the word abide a lot. I looked in my Concord, uh, the Strong's Exhaustive uh, Concordance. I didn't count them all, but there are hundreds of times the word abide is used. 
and uh, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. The word is used here, I believe, uh, ten times. A couple of times it uh, it's a little different in this NASB than it is in my King James. But uh, the word comes up two times in the King James to remain. To remain. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. There's the fourth part of fruit bearing. There's no fruit, bear fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. He expects us to bear much fruit. And I don't think that all means soul winning. We're not all soul winners. You know, that little man, his wife, brings him in here every Sunday when the weather will permit in a wheelchair. Mr. Claude Parks. He retired from Ford Motor Company. He's a quiet man. He's not a preacher. But when he retired from Ford, they needed a good janitor over at Calvary Church, and we were still going pretty strong then, seven, eight hundred a week. That little guy took care of that church faithfully almost every day. I don't know if he got paid for it. I don't think he did. But that part would be none of my business. But he did the job faithfully all the time. I think Jared remembers some of that. Mr. Parks knew where everything in that church was. He knew what every need of that building was. He kept everything in good repair. He kept the lights working. He kept, he did this. He did that. He did it faithfully all the time. Well, I think that's fruit-bearing. He was a testimony just by the job he did. Should we all be soul winners? Well, one day God will present somebody to you that He wants you to tell the, tell them about the gospel. Tell them the good news. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. No thing. That is nothing worthwhile. You can't do anything worthwhile in the Christian life apart from Jesus. It won't work. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch, verse 6, and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. I believe, and I've, some of the notes I've read from uh, other commentaries and the like, these are people that are just hangers-on. They're not really believers. And uh, one day they'll just be cast into the fire. These are uh, pretty serious things we're talking about here. This is... We're talking about forever right here. And there are lots of Christians out there who are professors. They'll say they profess that they're Christians. Their life denies that. They live anyway but the way Christ lived. But they'll come to church and everything looks okay. 
And I don't know who they are. It's none of my business. It's not my job to judge them. We're not supposed to judge anybody except ourselves. Where do I stand with Christ? Seven, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My words. Jesus is the living Word of God. And we can see that in John chapter 1, the first few verses. Let's look, let's look at that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, or is God. He was in the beginning with God. He wasn't begun at that time. He was already there in the beginning. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it, or the darkness could not overcome it. Jesus is the living Word of God. And these are His words on these pages. All these writers were moved by the Holy Spirit to write down just what God wanted them to do. Now, there are those out there today who are eliminating a lot of things out of the Word of God, and they're saying, this is what it means. Or some say, I can believe some of the Bible, but I can't believe all of it. Well, what part do you not believe? They can't tell you, because they're not looking at it anyway. What part do you believe? They, don't, they can't tell you that either. What is it you want to know? I'd be glad to tell you. I was getting over that busted leg, and they uh, sometimes the union could find us uh, jobs that we could do while we were injured. Sometimes you see these hoists that go up and down outside of a building. They call them a buck hoist. We'd get a job running one of those. We put them up, too. The elevator men put those up and take them down. And... Uh, Coming home from work there one day, way down at Great Lakes Steel, and uh, stopped in with a guy I knew, and he had gotten hurt. His name was Bob. And I knew they were getting hard up, and I was making some pretty good money and making a lot of overtime running that hoist. So I stopped in, dropped a little money. We had worked together for years. He said, I don't need that money. I said, well, you're going to take it anyway. He couldn't catch me because he was on crutches too and I ran out the door. So he said, Jim, I heard you got religion. I said, yeah, you want to hear about it? No, well, I just I don't want to hear about it. Well, I told him I got saved. I made it short. I think I gave him a, a verse of Scripture, but then I was on my way because he didn't want to hear it. So I wasn't going to make him listen to me. I don't know whatever I don't know what happened to Bob after that. I never did see him again. We just never did cross paths. If you work in the building trades, you go from one job to another. Jared has already experienced that with the electricians. And you finish up this job here, you get laid off from there, you go to another job. 
or you go sit in the union hall and do nothing, <laughs> and you don't get paid for that. And there's not much work out there nowadays, people. But uh, I don't know if that had any effect on Bob or not. I hope it did. But I never saw him again. But it was that much of a witness. I told him that much. And a lot of guys in the elevator business tried to avoid me after that. They didn't want to be around this guy that was a religious wacko. Because <laughs> I didn't mind telling them about Jesus. Something happened to me, and I had to let it out. Well, you ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now, I'm going to confess to you. I can't say too much about that one way or the other. So I will leave that one with God and with you. You ask whatever you wish. I'm sure it has to be asked within His will, according to His Word. Who was the man, uh, Mueller, that started all the orphanages back in uh, Great Britain years ago? And he was not British. He came from another country there. But he was a prayer man as much as anything. And he had a friend who had two sons. And Mueller prayed for this man's two sons for salvation for 50 years. One of them got saved. One didn't. And after Mueller died and went to heaven, the Lord took him home. That second son got saved as well. This, these two sons of a friend of his. God fulfilled that promise to George Mueller. I think his name was George, wasn't it? Yeah. And uh, I sat and I read the story of that man's life to my to my kids. How long, when do we stop at quarter two? Okay. <laughs> you saying you'd like me to stop now? <laughs> Okay. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Whatever it is He has called you to do, do it well. I like something Martin Luther King Jr. said. It's a little quote on a thing we have from the Basic Youth Seminars. He said, if God has called you to be a street sweeper, you should try to be the best street sweeper that you know of. And he said, people should say, there goes a great street sweeper. Now, a lot of you may not know what that is. Downtown, years ago, they had a big barrel with two big wagon wheel type things and they had a shovel and a broom. And they would sweep up the debris and the curbs and the sidewalks and fill that barrel up. These guys were on foot, and they kept the city clean. You don't see that anymore. If we can't do it with a machine, it's not getting done. And it doesn't get done. Breaks my heart to see what has happened to our great city of Detroit because it used to be a great city. It isn't anymore. Murder capital... And, you know, this murder and stuff is starting to branch out into the suburbs. I'm seeing more and more things. Something happened in Bloomfield, West Bloomfield, Farmington, 
something happened in Clinton Township. My grandson and his wife and his his children, my great-grandchildren, live over in Clinton Township. That store owner was shot and killed just the other night. They just walked into his store and shot him and killed him. He didn't do anything. Yeah, he sold liquor, but I don't have to buy the liquor. But he was making an honest living according to the law. They just walked in there and shot him dead. As far as they know, they might have grabbed a few hundred dollars out of the cash register. It's probably the best they did. You took the man's life for that. But America has turned its back on God. We do not abide with God anymore. So my Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to my prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I also loved you. Abide in my love. He keeps using that word abide. You know, Pastor Allen used to say, if the Bible makes much of it, we should too. And Jesus makes much of this word abide right here in John chapter 15. But He made much of it in throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament and the Psalms. You will find the word abide. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you. That's another one where the word of abide could be used was remain. And they changed the words in this NASB. In the New, Te- in the New King James or the King James, you will still see the word abide or remain. Remain is the same thing as abide. It was in that description that I read. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Now, I left Calvary Baptist Church, and I believe I did it biblically. And I won't tell you everything that was going on there, but God said in His Word we should separate ourselves from these people who do false things. And finally, I took all I could take, and I left there for that reason. I feel loved in this little church. I don't know if any one of you has a problem with me. Maybe you do. Like I said at the beginning, I've never been the nicest guy in the world. If i got something on my mind, you might hear it, and you might not like it. But I'm bold enough to say it sometimes. But I feel loved and I feel welcome in this place and I'm glad I'm here. And I did join this church not too long after we started coming. Well, these things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Joy is different than fun. Do you know the word fun is that you cannot find it in Scripture? The Bible does not talk about us having fun. It doesn't do that. It says we can have joy in the most dire circumstances. We can have the joy of the Lord, even when we're going through hard times. I told you before, I had some of the hardest times in my life since I became a Christian but I wouldn't trade places with anybody. I don't want to go through those times again, 
but I still wouldn't trade my life for any other place except to be in Christ. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than one lay down his life for his friends. Well, Jesus did that, didn't he? You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. The master didn't have to explain everything he was doing to a slave, did he? He just said, you go do that. He went and did it. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus let him know what was what. And even after he left here, the Holy Spirit came back and those guys finished up the Bible. They, the Spirit of God told these guys a lot of stuff and they wrote it down. God put it in writing. He says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. There's the same word again. It's the same word used as abide. It's the same Greek word, remain, abide, remain. So that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. This I command you, that you love one another. Well, I'm just about out of fuel here for me, and it's just about time anyway. So there goes the bell. Are there any questions or comments at all? I've bored you long enough. And now I'm supposed to turn this off, Jared? I don't know. <laughs>